Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, today's passage uh, commences is from the book of Jonah, commencing at chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the three was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Thank to God. God. Well, extra, extra, read all about it. A fish swallows a man whole, has him in his belly for three days. And he comes out on the other side alive. Click here to get bait for this fish. Click here for some clickbait as well. Well, tonight we start off a new series on the book of Jonah, a God's reluctant disciple. And we always associate Jonah with his fish. And when I was very young in Sunday school, I always wondered, what kind of fish is this that you could be so big that could swallow a man for three days, have him live and breathe, and come out the other end okay? And subsequent to that, when I've been teaching Sunday school or kids' church and teaching scripture, whenever Jonah comes up, the question is always, what kind of fish is this? 
So just so that you don't spend the next one month thinking about what kind of fish it is, let me tell you from the outset that the fish is actually a red herring. Now, not literally a red herring, of course. I mean, the fish is there, but it's not that important. So it's not that important that we actually work out what kind of fish it is. It's just there. The book of Jonah is about so much more important things than the fish. So cast out of that out of your mind and focus on the story of Jonah. Now, to stick with this sort of maritime theme, it is often said that if you give a man a fish, then you will teach, you will feed him for a day. But if you give a person the ability to teach a person how to fish, you'll be able to feed them for a lifetime. And so tonight, I hope to give you a bit of a fish from Jonah 1, but also to reinforce your ability to go fish for yourselves and therefore feed yourselves for a whole lifetime. Now, we're going to do this by using the very well, somewhat famous West Wing method. Now, West Wing method, of course, is the way we, we look at the Bible as a story. And the West Wing method requires us to ask five questions as we read stories in the Bible, in particular in the Old Testament. The first question is, what has happened so far? The second question is, what is happening now in this passage? The third question is, what does it teach us about God? The fourth question is, what does it teach us about how God does things in Jesus? And the last question, in many ways the most important, is how then shall we live? Because when we encounter a perfect God in His Word, He doesn't need to change, we do. And so our, our heads will change the way we think, our hearts will change the way we feel about things, or our hands will change the way we do things. And so hopefully God will work through tonight's passage to help us to change so we can be more like Christ. So let's use the West Wing method and ask ourselves the first question, what has happened so far? Now, what's happened so far doesn't actually occur in the book of Jonah because we're in chapter 1. So we're going to have to look before Jonah, right? Not in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look before Jonah, and we're going to go all the way back to the creation account in Genesis. And in Genesis, what we see is that God created the whole earth and all the people in it. And His way of living is actually the best way to live. And God actually loves Adam and Eve and everyone on the planet earth. God made the world. God loves the world. He's in charge of the world. Now, come forward in time, we see Abraham, as we met in the last few months. And God uses Abraham to build a nation called Israel. And Israel was going okay for a while, but after a while, it split into two kingdoms. It divided. The northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah, and Jonah occurs in the northern kingdom. And at this point in time, uh, some of the, uh, the superpower that is existing is a group called the Assyrians. And they're very powerful, and they've been giving uh, Israel grief for a while. But in more recent times, a few things have gone Israel's way. And so they're feeling a bit good about themselves. They're wearing their meager hats, make Israel great again hats. And they're having a good time. And it's in this particular context we walk into the story of Jonah. All right, that's what's happened. What is happening now? And also we'll ask the question, what does it teach us about God? And we'll roll them into one so we can sort of speed things up a bit and keep things a bit simple. And what is happening now is seen in, we see three particular movements in tonight's story, and they have to do with the people group of the story. The first people group is actually the Ninevites. We'll look at them. The second people group are the sailors on the boat. And the third people group is actually just one person. It's actually Jonah. So let's look at each of those in turn. Firstly, the Ninevites. We see this in verses 1 through 2. So if you've got your Bibles open, come with me to verse 1. And if uh, you're at home, uh, pull up a Bible next to me, BibleGateway.com, Jonah chapter 1, and just follow along. Jonah 1 says this, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, 
because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, as we see this, we see two things that make us think, oh, that's a bit weird, and one thing that makes us think, ah, of course. Let's look at the two things that are a bit weird. Well, first of all, God identifies Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, this big nation, and he sees that they are wicked. And as we know from the rest of the Bible, God is a holy God and he hates wickedness. And so God is angry with the people of Nineveh and he sends Jonah off to tell them about this. Now, when we hear it, we think, well, that's kind of normal. But if you sort of think for a while, it is kind of strange because Israel is a small country compared to the Assyrian Empire. And God is the God of Israel and the Assyrians have their own gods. And we're thinking, what gives God the right, the God of this small little country, Israel, the right to go and speak against the wickedness of this big empire, Syria? That's a bit strange. The second thing we see is that God actually loves the Assyrians. God actually loves the Ninevites. He sends Jonah there. We'll find it in chapters 3 and 4. He actually sends Jonah there so they can turn back to him. Now, that's a bit strange. This, super, this um, superpower has been oppressing Israel for a while, and they, soon they'll actually exile them, and they'll be the end of the northern kingdom. And God actually loves them. Well, how can you make Israel great again if your own God is siding with loving the enemy? That's kind of weird. But then, of course, we remember all the way back to Genesis in creation. It makes perfect sense that God can actually call the Ninevites out for their sin, and it makes perfect sense that God loves them because God didn't just make Israel. God made the whole earth. His way is the best way. And when you go against God, you're going against God, just the God of, not just the God of Israel, but the God of the whole earth. And he has the right to call them out for their wickedness. And of course, God made everyone. And of course, it makes sense that God loves everyone as well. It's his right, and in fact, he does get angry at their sin, but also loves them as well. The thing we can see from Jonah chapter, uh, verses 1 through 2 is that actually God cares, rightly so, for everyone in the world, not just his country of Israel. Right, that's the first thing. The second thing we see is the sailors. And we read this in verses 3 through to 16. It's a kind of a long story, uh, but pretty much he tells Jonah to go and preach to these guys in Nineveh. And Jonah says, no way, I'm not going to go to those dodgy, wicked people. I'm not going to do it. So he runs. Instead of going east to go to Nineveh, he gets a boat and goes west to Tarshish, kind of Spain area. And as he runs, God causes a big wind to blow. And this wind is so big, the ship almost sinks. So all of these pagan sailors call out to their gods, gods, help us. And of course, none of their gods can help them. And so eventually they cast lots. And of course, God's in control of the lots as well. And it falls onto Jonah. So they wake Jonah up and say, hey, you call to your God. Maybe that'll work. Who do you worship anyway? And Jonah says, I worship the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. See, his theology is fine. He knows exactly what's going on. His actions totally contradict what he says. And I'm sure a future preacher will pick up on that. But for today, what you need to see is that God is in control and Jonah knows it. And so I said, what should we do to be saved? And he says, kill me. Throw me into the water. That's the only way because God's coming after me and yours is collateral damage. So throw me into the sea, kill me, and you'll be right. But of course, these guys can't do that. So row harder and row harder and row harder. But that doesn't work. And so eventually, they pray to this guy and say, don't hold the blood of this innocent man against us. And they throw Jonah overboard to die. And as he goes overboard to die, the seas calm down. And all of these pagan sailors are filled with fear for God. And they sacrifice to him. They worship him. And God actually saves them. 
And they don't just pray to any Lord. If you look in your Bibles, it's not the capital L, small case, O-I-D. It's actually capital L and small capital O-I-D, which means they're actually calling out to Jonah's God, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. They found the true God. God not only saved them physically from the storm, but he saved them eternally by turning them to him. And what we can see through this is that God is so powerful and God is so in control that he can use anything, storms and lots, he can use anyone, even a dodgy prophet who's deliberately disobeying him. And he can use any situation, even the death, in inverted commas, of this guy being thrown overboard to bring salvation to this ship of people, the sailors. God is so powerful, he can do that to achieve his aims. Second thing we see. Okay, and lastly, and the last little thing that we see is in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And here we actually do meet the fish. So verse 17 says this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And Mal and Mel will continue this story next week. But they throw him overboard to die, but God saves him. And three days later, he will come out of this fish and complete God's work by bringing the message of God to the Ninevites. And spoiler alert, God actually uses him to save Nineveh, even though he himself does it unwillingly. In this particular case, God raises his prophet from the dead, so to speak, to go and finish his work. So there are the three things that we can see from this passage. Well, let's ask ourselves a fourth question. What does it tell us about how God does things in Jesus? Now, if you've been at church for a while, your heads should already be ringing, the alarm bells are sounding off because it's very clear to you what's going on here. Well, let's look at how he does things in Jesus in those three categories again. First of all, to the Ninevites, we saw that God cares about the whole world, not just his people. He cares about Nineveh, not just Israel. And of course, in the very famous John 3.16, it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, the world is perishing because they've turned their back on eternal, almighty God. And God's rightly angry with the world for that. But... God still loves them so much he would send Jesus in to restore the world to himself. Amazing. The second thing we see is that God can use anyone, anyhow, to bring about his plans. We see that he did it through lots and storms. He did it through a dodgy prophet called, uh, called Jonah who refused to listen to him. And even in Jonah's seeming death, he achieves his salvation for that boat. 700-odd years later, a man would come on the stage He'd be born to a virgin, pretty suspect. He would grow up in Nazareth, a backwater town. What good thing can come out of Nazareth? Uh, in today's language, think of um, Melbourne. <laughs> what good thing can come out of Melbourne? Um, that we love Victorians. If you're Victorian, we love you guys. Uh, but please keep your second wave to yourselves. We're, we're kind of okay in Sydney. <laughs> keep the second wave to yourselves. But, you know, he came, so there's nobody from Nazareth. And ultimately, he gets executed on a cross a symbol of shame and of cursed, being cursed by God. And God uses this, this man, Jesus, this God, Jesus, to actually bring about his plans of not saving just one boat of people, but actually the world to him. In fact, in Colossians 2, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's so powerful, he can even use the cross and an ordinary man, God, Jesus, to achieve his purposes, just like he did with Jonah. That's how powerful and good God is. Well, lastly, we see that in last point is that in Jonah, we see that God raises his prophet to finish his work. 
Jonah was thrown overboard to die, but was saved by the fish and spat out three days later to achieve God's purposes of reaching Nineveh. And Jesus dies and goes into the tomb, not in, another, not in the belly of a fish, but the belly of the earth, and rises three days later, not just to save one city of Nineveh, but the whole world. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus would say this, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days in the heart of the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is confronting the people of his time and saying, you know what, there was a, once upon a time there was a dodgy prophet called Jonah, and he preached a really, really short and weird sermon. You'll read that in chapter 4. And as a result, the Ninevites, the enemies of God, turned to God. Now you guys, the Jews, supposedly the people of God, you have someone greater than Jonah right in front of you. How will you respond to me? And if you don't accept me, then on judgment day, the very men and women of Nineveh will rise up and condemn you for making a bad choice. We no longer listen to Jonah now. We find the super Jonah, Jesus, and we're called to follow him and listen to him. Right, well, that leads us to question five. And the last question is, how do we live having read this passage? How do we, how, what are we supposed to do with it? How are our heads, our hearts, and our hands going to change as a result? Well, let's look at those three things again. First of all, when we looked at the Ninevites, we saw that God cares about the whole world. And he's rightly angry at the whole world for not treating him as God. Now, I wonder if we love the whole world. Or do we just sort of think God is just the God for church? When we walk around the malls of Chatswood, when we, work, we go to our offices in the city, when we go to our schools in Roseville and Linfield, when we go to our hospitals in St. Leonard's, and go, do we look around us and see, oh my goodness, God actually loves all of these people. And they're running around busy in their life, chasing the stuff that God's giving them, but not acknowledging God. And do our hearts go out to them and care for them and love them? Because God does. God loves the whole world, not just those of us inside the church. And when we go out into this world, we look at a bunch of people who've actually said to God, you know, God, you don't even exist. And even if you exist, I'm just too busy for you. You've given me all this stuff, but you know what? That's just maybe too busy to, to care about you, so no time for you, God. Or perhaps even worse, God, you might even exist, but you know what you say in your Bible? I don't agree with it. It's out of date. Me and my friends in 2020 in Sydney, we're smarter than you, God. Thanks very much, but no thanks. Now, God is rightly angry with these people and saddened by these people. But we sort of feel we can't really tell them that because, well, what right do we have to impose our views on others? Or by extension, what right does God have to impose his, rights, his, his ideas on them? How dare God tell this world around us how to live? But I wonder if the question should be reversed. How dare this world treat God in that way? God made them, God loves them, God speaks to them through his word, and they ignore him. They say that they're smarter than him. Maybe our question should be, how dare this world turn their back on the God who loves and created them? You see, do we really believe that God is not just the God of our little church or churches like ours, but actually the God of the whole world? And not just here in 
Roseville, not just here in the North Shore, but do we actually believe that God is the God of a whole world? Now, in Roseville, we're, we're very blessed. We're very well supplied here. Just in this little area here, to, our, to my right, I count about two or three churches and a big Christian school behind us as well. Um, if you go down the North Shore line, there's an Anglican church at every train station, um, not to even mention the other denominations. And in my suburb of Linfield, I've got East Linfield Anglican, Linfield Anglican, and West Linfield Anglican, plus the other denominations. We are very well supplied here. But on the other hand, there are parts of Sydney and parts of the world which are not so well supplied, and people leave us to go there and bring the truth of Jesus and love of Jesus to them. And when they go, what do we do with them? Do we just say to them, hey, it's fantastic that God's working in your heart that way. See ya, have a good time, see you in heaven. Is that how we treat them? Or do we actually partner with them? Now, what does partnering mean? Well, in the, in the words of one of the, the most cogent arguers, one of the most deep-thinking philosophers and thinkers of our time, um, Tom Cruise, uh, or Maverick, if you like, he says, I will not leave my wingman. I will not leave my wingman. Now, you see, when you're a fighter pilot, you get assigned the wingman, and you, you team up, right? And if your wingman is going after the baddies, then he's vulnerable. So you make sure you protect him at where he goes. You're, you're a team. You're doing this together. And, and, and this is a basic doctrine of air combat maneuvering, ACM. Now, how do I know so much about being a fighter pilot? Well, it's because I watched the uh, movie Top Gun about 50 million times in my life. <laughs> but Maverick has a point, doesn't he? We partner with people. We, we don't leave our wingman. We're together. Another way to think about it is to think about the chopstick. Right? The chopstick, if you do it right, there's one chopstick, the bottom one, that hardly ever moves, and the top one moves a lot. And if both work together, then you get dinner. <laughs> if they don't work together, you go hungry. That's just how it works. And so for those of us who are staying here in North, the North Shore, staying here in Roseville, we're kind of like that one that doesn't move very much. But we need to be teaming up with the guys who do go to Western Sydney, who do go to Africa and, and rural China. And, and as we work together, then God uses us to bring about his purposes. Now, how does this look like in real life? Well, there's many ways that this can occur. Um, we already, part of your offering goes towards our mission and aid partner, so praise God for that. But there's also other ways we can partner with them financially as well. We just have to do a bit of research, find out the best ones, the ones which resonate with us, and support them financially. We can support them, of course, in prayer, which many of us do. And now, of course, we can actually Zoom them. We're all experts in Zoom now, aren't we? In fact, so much so that it's, it's almost become a swear word, Zoom. And now you're really tired from Zooming, but we're all experts in Zoom, and we can actually go and Zoom these guys and talk to them and pray not just for them, but actually pray with them and supply their needs. But also in this time of COVID, a lot of us have a bit more time on our hands, and many of us have different skills that we can offer. So maybe we can actually work with a Christian NGO or a mission organization, and we can actually offer some of those skills for them, whether it's accounting or counseling or office management. We can use these gifts to, to bless them, to serve with them, so that we can actually partner with those who've left Roseville, left the North Shore, to go and bring Jesus to the world. But of course we'll only do this if we actually believe God is not just the God of church, but God is the God who loves the world. All right, second thing. We saw in the episode with the sailors that God is so powerful and so good, he can use anyone to achieve his goals of saving people. Now, I know some of us are sitting there thinking, well, that's true, and I know there's a concept that's true, but um, you don't know me. I'm, a, I'm not a very good Christian. I'm a bit of a dodgy Christian. I've done some stuff in my past which I don't want you to know about, and so therefore God can't use me. What he'll do is he'll use Mrs. And Mr. and Mrs. Holy over there to do that stuff, but me, I'll just rock up. But if that's you... 
And it's a good reminder, isn't it? Uh, being like Jesus is important. But having said that, all of us are broken, all of us have failed God in some ways. My question to you this evening is, have you ever been told by God to share the gospel with someone and you say no and physically run the opposite direction? Have you actually ever said, you know, I'd rather die than to bring the gospel to those particular people? And if you haven't, and I hope that's all of us, then at least in this aspect, you're a little bit better than Jonah. And God used Jonah, and God can use and wants to use us to bring about his mission. Now, others of us are sitting there thinking, well, that's true, but I don't really have any gifts for this kind of thing, and so therefore I'll leave it up to those gifted people uh, who are doing stuff around church, who are doing stuff up front. And if that's what you're thinking, then well, I understand where you're coming from, but the Bible actually says all of us have gifts in many ways to bring his gospel to the world. Now, some of us get up on stages and give talks. Not all of us do it. It's neither here nor there. Some people do, some people don't. Others of us have gifts in inviting friends to our Bible study groups, our small groups, and making them feel at home and answering their questions. Other of us are really great at just having coffee and tea with people and just telling them stories about our lives and how God's been working in our lives. Others are great at logistically organizing things that will make a non-Christian family and friends feel welcome. And others of us, all of us, are good at praying for the lost. And some of us are in particular are very burdened to pray. And if that's you, then you're the most important people on the team. You're the MVPs. Because no talk, no Q&A session, no barbecue is going to change anyone's heart. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to work in their hearts, change them from the inside. And so we need to be praying that God will send his Holy Spirit into people's hearts, change them, reveal himself to them. And if you're particularly one of these people gifted and burdened to pray, we need you because you're the most important people on the team. All of us can do these things. Now, at a church like St. Andrews, many people come into our orbit as a community. And many people come into our orbit as individuals and as families. And together, we want to make sure that as these people enter our orbits, they don't leave these orbits without being warned about God and how he is sad and upset with, with, their, with sin, and also that we're not prayed for, that God actually loves them and wants them to be part of his family as well. About two and a half years ago, I quoted a pastor in America called Spurgeon, and I'll do it again tonight. He said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Let no one enter the orbit of our own lives. Let no one enter the, go through the orbit of St. Andrews without being warned about judgment and prayed for that they know God's love. And we need to do this together, don't we? And God can do it in us and through us. All of us. Well, the last thing we see in Jonah is that God raises his prophet to finish his work. True of Jonah, true of Jesus. And we know when Jesus rose again, he actually won the victory and he's going to come back one day to, to finish it all off. But in the meantime, we have to respond. Now, I want to address two different groups of people here tonight. Uh, one group are those of you who are still thinking about God. And if that's you, it's so good that you're here with us physically in the building tonight or online. And you might have been with us just for tonight or even the last few, few weeks, few months on, because of COVID, or even a few years as you sort of dropped in and out of St. Andrews wondering about God. And it's good that you're here, and I hope you've learned a lot about God. But tonight you've been hit by a little bit of a confronting passage, haven't you? See, Jesus says, you know what? 
it's all well and good for those guys in Jonah's time to respond to Jonah. But it's even more important that you respond to me because I'm a greater Jonah. I'm better than Jonah. I'm the true prophet of God. And you've been exposed to me now. How are you going to respond? Now, I understand there's lots of emotions involved. There's a lot of facts that you still need checking out. And if that's you, keep asking questions. Keep reaching out. We'd love to answer your questions, have coffee with you. Now that the restrictions have lifted. But please keep checking it out. And don't just let it go to the side. Don't just come to church and get entertained and, and, and that's it. Be confronted by meeting Jesus and respond to him. Because in that passage in Matthew, it says one day on the judgment day, the guys from Nineveh are going to rise up and condemn the people who say, we had Jesus right in front of us and we ignored him. We ignored the possibility of being a part of God's family. And that's the message for you guys tonight. And it's so good that you're here to learn more about God. Please keep doing it. We'd love to have you here. But for the rest of us, kind of regulars, we already trust Jesus. And we know that it's, Jesus is coming back one day. The victory has already been won. And we're kind of in the, the, the mopping up operations. But we also know that mopping up operations can get messy. It can get costly. And so what are we doing in the midst of this? And for so many of us, it's so good to see how we're all pouring our hearts and minds and efforts and skills into growing each other, growing the church. And I'm really encouraged to hear about all the great ways you're reaching out to people in the local community and, and reaching them with the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. And that's a lot of us here. So praise God for that. Keep on doing it and keep on doing it more and more. Uh, but if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, and I'm guessing that's true of you as well, then we could do more. You see, God doesn't say, love the Lord your God with a bit of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God doesn't say, love the Lord your God with a lot of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Everything about you is about honoring God and loving the people he loves. And I think all of us fall short of that in one way or another. And I was just thinking, why is that the case? Why is it the case for me? And why is it the case for you? And I think a lot of us, there's lots of different reasons, but one of the key reasons is our comforts. Especially here, 2020, the North Shore, we love our comfort. We built our lives. We spent our lives building up our comforts. We've got our network of friends. They know we're Christians. Uh, but, you know, we don't want to be that Jesus freak person who keeps talking about Jesus and asking them to, to think about, consider Christ. Uh, we've got our, our timetables. You know, we've, we've factored in church and small group and all those wonderful things. Uh, but, you know, we've, we've also factored in leisure time activities and all these other things, our kids, our grandkids, and we sort of maxed out already. No more extra time to spend doing God's work. And, and, and we've got our budgets that we've laid out as well. Yes, yeah, so of course, we give to church and we give lots and we're very generous and praise God for that. But we sort of have other things planned as well. And that prevents us from going further. And especially now with COVID, we're worried about our health, which we should do. And also we're worried about our livelihoods. And I get all that. There's, a, there's, a, there's just realities of life we have to confront. But having said that, is the call of God even more important than those things? Are we called to take on all these comforts that God blesses us with and turn them back into praise to him? And sometimes for some of us, that will actually involve a bit of mess, a bit of pain. Um, we might actually have to get a bit dirty a bit, a bit hurt doing it. There was a guy, um, American president long ago, his name is Theodore Roosevelt. I didn't name my son after him. Uh, but he was a part of, um, it's a good name, because it means the gift of God. Um, and he was a part of a movement called muscular Christianity. And so they believe that you should be right with God spiritually, emotionally, all that stuff. But they also believe that we should be strong and healthy for God, and also we should actually make an impact for God in the world. And he said, credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena 
whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best, if he wins, knows the thrill of high achievement, and if he fails, at least fails daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. He was speaking to the American people, probably the Christians as well, but I want to sort of appropriate that uh, for the Christian context. See, we can float through life with our comforts, and nothing wrong with that. Praise God for them. But we're called to something more than that. We're called to use these comforts that God blesses us with and turn them back into praise for God. We're called to get into the arena and get dusty and sweaty and bloody. And when we do that for the sake of God's kingdom growing, at times we're going to win, and we're going to win huge. And we get to praise God for that, because it's all his power and all his grace that achieves it anyway. But when we do that, we have to know that sometimes we're going to lose, and we're going to lose huge. But when we lose huge, at least we know we'll lose daring greatly. And even at that point, praise God for that as well. You see, are we going to be the guys who cruise through accepting God's comforts? Or we're going to use God's comforts, God's blessings, and get in the arena and honour God with every single part of our lives. Well, tonight, hopefully, we've been given a chance to enhance our ability to fish for ourselves using the West Wing Method. And also, we've had a chance to actually get a fish from the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Now, I wonder how we're going to respond to this. Are we going to get this fish and be challenged and be encouraged and change our hearts, minds, and hands? Are we going to learn this method of fishing, this method of reading, and use it to keep feeding ourselves in the future? My prayer is that we will. Now, as most of you know, and as Mal has already mentioned, uh, today is the last day that me and my family will be at St. Andrews. And so thank you so much for welcoming us in two years ago when we first arrived here, 200 years ago. Uh, thank you so much for the joy it has been and for allowing us uh, to serve you, to teach you, and for the guys from 10 and 7 to, to be your focused pastor for a while. We've really been blessed by our time here. But you know what? It's okay, because even though we're leaving physically St. Andrews, we're all going to be still on the same team. And of course, we're going to bump into each other around the place, and also on top of that, we're going to actually be able to hear about each other through our common friends. And when we hear about each other, my prayer is what you'll hear about me and my family and what I'll hear about you and your family is that we are in the arena, getting sweaty, getting dirty, dusty, getting bloody, and winning huge for God and losing huge for God, but at least daring greatly for God and praising God at all times. I pray that that's what we'll hear about each other so that God can be honoured and glorified, that the church can be encouraged and taught and built up, and that the lost around our area and around the world will be saved. Thank you so much for having us at St Andrews for the past two and a half years. Let's continue to glorify God together in our separate ways. Tom out. <laughs>